0: Well, good morning. It's been an interesting week, hasn't it? Uh, No snow all winter, and then snow. So we're glad you made it this day. Hopefully you had a good week. Uh, Winter series, which means we talk about a topic for several weeks in a row called Game Plan. It's about God's plan for your life. Most of us around here believe that God has a plan for your life. And we're trying to help you figure out what that is. Uh, Today's topic is traded. And uh, Actually, I want to welcome our first-time guest. I've got a new friend here this morning, Jeremy. Welcome. Uh, became friends last week. Uh, Probably about the time you're in your early 20s, maybe earlier, you start asking that question, what's life about? Why am I here? Is there a purpose? Or, you know, do I just grow up? Go to school, get a job, get another job, meet somebody, get married, maybe get married again, have some kids or not, have some grandkids, retire, play golf, and die. Um, the fact that we even think about that or ask that question, to me, says the answer is yes. How many of you are dog people? I'm not a dog person. Oh, a bunch of dog people. Okay. Mike and Allison, they have two big dogs. and like. Andrea and Brian have two little dogs. But anyway, so we're around the, around the kids and grandkids, we see dogs. But anyway, I don't believe so. Now, you, you dog people might argue with me. But I don't believe a dog wakes up in the morning and says, hmm, I wonder what the purpose of my life is. I, what, you know, what is the meaning of life? I think if you feed them, you know, let them sleep, pet them a little bit, uh, let them run around in the yard, they're pretty contented. They don't ask those deeper questions. But as... Uh, people made in the image of God, we ask that question. It's important to us. We don't, it's hard to just think of life as just, you know, I live here on earth and then die and that's it. Um, in fact, and I think I can be pretty persuasive. I try and make persuasive arguments. In fact, if I was to put a graphs up here and use examples and try and prove to you that there is no purpose to life, most of you would, still wouldn't believe me, would you? And we call this, last week we called this the thumbprint of God on our lives. We just believe that there is more and that God created us with a purpose and he's got a plan for us and it's a good plan and, and it's, it's really good to figure out what that is and then to do it. And so we think it's good that you pray that prayer, God, what is your plan for my life? What is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? Whether it's about jobs or or relationships, or finances, or health issues, or or what it it might be. Now, here's the interesting thing. We see what we're looking for. And uh, we just noticed this this morning, driving here to church. You ever notice that when you get a new car, you notice how many of those cars are on the road that you never noticed before? Um, I bought uh, Josh's white Acura uh, a few years back. And I didn't notice those cars, and the other thing was, I started noticing white cars. They didn't even have to be Acura, They're just white cars. And now I drive another white vehicle. But then a year or so ago, my wife got a, a new SUV, and it's silver. And it this has to be an Acura. So we're driving to church, and this car, just like hers, is coming the other way. Now, there was a car in front of that and a car behind that. We did not notice those two cars, did we? But we noticed the car that was just like her car. So we see what we're looking for. So we want to encourage you to look for God's thumbprint on your life. God's plan for your life. God's will for your life. We also believe that God created everything. So God is the best communicator because he created communication. So he's not hiding this from us. Even though we admit sometimes it's hard to figure out. He is trying his best to communicate to us what his plan is for you and I. So last week we said God's thumbprint on you are clues to his plan for you. So what kind of ways wired you, the things that you're passionate about, things you like or things you dislike. And we talked about spiritual gifts. And we gave you an online place where you could go and, and uh, take a little test. Uh, I want to remind uh, MMT members and staff members, please fill that out this week before our retreat on Saturday. Uh, I'd like to see uh, what our kind of our spiritual gift mix of the church leadership is here. But any of you, I've got some others of you filled it out and sent it to me. I f- hopefully you found that helpful and interesting. I certainly did. Uh, so figure it out, what it is. And then take advantage of every opportunity to plug into those things uh, the ways that you're wired. <clears throat> so, today I want to talk about specifically how this all relates to work life. Because the vast majority of questions I get asked about what's God's will with my life involves work. Whether it's, you know, what to study in school, where to go to school, you know, what to major in school, because it's all related to work, and then what jobs to take or, or what kind of jobs to take. This is the biggest, the most popular question I get asked. Um I really can't answer it directly, specifically for you. I can only answer it the way we're doing this series in uh, kind of generalities. So I thought I'd talk, start talking to you about my, my first couple jobs. Um, let me back up a little bit. Uh, my dad wasn't a very healthy person. He had emphysema and he couldn't breathe very well. And when I was really small, he, he, he was a crane operator in the port of Baltimore. And I don't know if you've ever seen these cranes, but there's all these steps you have to go up to get to the crane and they load and unload the ships. Well, he, he got so he couldn't, he, he was just short windy, he couldn't climb up and down the steps. So, uh, he started laying hardwood floors for a living. Now, Evidently, he did that before I was born somewhere along the line. So, he went back to doing that, because it's called piece work. You get paid for what you do, so you can go at your own pace, and etc. If he didn't feel good, he didn't, didn't have to work. Well, what so happens was, when I'm about 14, he started taking me with him when I wasn't in school, uh, because he could get more work done, and we'd have more income for the family, and we, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, and so the other thing was interesting, there wasn't, I mean, there's child labor laws were bound then, but, you know, never, nobody ever forced my dad off the job because I, the little 14-year-old kid was there, and so... Um, I would help, and it wouldn't take long before I was getting pretty good at it. Probably by the time I was about 16, I was better at it than my dad, or could work faster than my dad. So I was adding to the family's income. And and then my brother, who's was two years younger, he started helping, and and so forth. Uh, Then I graduated from high school and got into college, and uh, I went to the University of Maryland. I commuted, stayed at home. It was the cheapest route. Nobody in my family has ever went to school but college. And i was still laying floors with my dad. And I drove to school and back with my cousin who had a job at the University of Maryland in a lab. And he got me a job between classes, Uh, basically washing dishes what it boiled down to. Maybe that's why I don't like washing dishes to this day. But anyway, I would spend my time washing flasks and and test tubes and so forth. So I was working, laying floor-by-floors and doing this, going to school, etc. Well, my first year of college in that winter, uh, my dad dies. He's 45. He dies of emphysema. And so, my brother and I kept continuing laying hardwood floors. But then something happened in the early 70s, and some of you are alive back then, will know this, something called wall-to-wall carpeting became popular, or was invented, or whatever. And people that even had hardwood floors would buy wall-to-wall carpeting to cover them up. And if you have an older house, you might have hardwood floors under your carpeting. But anyway, the hardwood flooring industry dried up. And so, basically, I was out. Of work, and so probably the second, third summer of my college i didn 't have a job, and so a young guy, high school kid in my church said, I, "Well, I got a, a job for both of us, but uh, i don 't have transportation Well, I had a car. I said, "Well, I can drive us if you get us a job now i 've done a lot of construction stuff over the years, and for most of you, this is probably going to sound strange, but this job was doing the thing I least liked to do I went, Hate maybe is a strong word, but least like to do. This was a job painting. So I spent all summer painting. And something I really don't like. And most of it was painting like on balconies. So we were out in the weather and it was hot. And Anyway, anyway it just wasn't a very pleasant work experience that summer for me. Now, with all these jobs, I never prayed the prayer, God, what is your will for my life as far as this employment? I just did it because it helped support the family and get, get through college, et cetera, et cetera. But these were the opportunities I had. On the positive side, I've never had to flick, flip burgers. How many of you have flipped burgers in your life? Well, not too many of you. That's kind of a common job for people. I never had to do that because I had these other, other opportunities. So, let me ask you, how many of you had a job that you ever hated? Lots of people, yeah. Okay, but you did it anyway, didn't you? Now maybe your attitude, I tried to have a good attitude, but maybe your attitude wasn't the best. But you did it because you had the opportunity. So here's what I want to share with you God often directs through new opportunities, uh, uh, directs through new opportunities that are connected to current opportunities. And um, we see this in success stories. Uh, people don't say, why, as a teenager, I had this plan, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and be a millionaire at 30. Nobody does that. They took advantage of opportunities that come along and eventually became successful. Now, you have to make decisions along the way. Uh, but often as Jesus followers, and if you're not, we're so happy that you're here today. But if you're a Jesus follower, sometimes we think, you know, you just sit there and, and God's going to just bring this stuff to you, okay, kind of like magic. But it doesn't normally act that way. It doesn't normally do things that way. So what is your current position? What is your current employment or unemployment or underemployment or retirement? What is your current situation? And what is your attitude toward that? Now, this truth applies outside the church. This is the way God operates in the world. And... Rarely is it, quote unquote, a miracle. Um, God, I believe in miracles. God does miracles. But I think we misunderstand sometimes. We read the Bible and we see these miracles in there. But there's not as many miracles in the Bible as we like to think. So I want to give you two stories as an illustration, and then we'll move on. All right. You ever heard of this guy by the name of David? All right. He became a king, a pretty famous guy. But he starts out as a teenager that's a shepherd. And my guess is he didn't love being a shepherd, but that was his family job, just like my dad was a floor layer, even though I kind of like laying floors. Um, and it's this interesting story where this prophet Samuel comes to Joseph's dad, I mean David's dad, and says, uh, one of your sons is going to be the next king. Saul was the king. And, he, and uh, so he, he, he parades his, his sons by this, this Samuel... And Samuel said, none of these guys, uh, you're sure this is all your sons? And they said, well, you know, actually we got the youngest g- guy, he's out there as a shepherd. He's certainly not king material, uh, but we got one more son. And, they, and he says, bring him in. It, it turns out that he's, he's going to be the next king. <clears throat> but anyway, David tells us a, this background story. He said, when I'm a shepherd, I was taking care of the sheep. One day this lion came along. Uh, we've probably all seen lions, at least on TV or maybe at the zoo. Lions are kind of scary, right? Especially for teenagers. And this lion comes along, and um, if I'm <laughs> David, I'm thinking, okay, we got thousands of sheep. Lion can take one. I just tell my dad, hey, this lion got one of the one of the one of the sheep. But he doesn't do that. He takes advantage of the opportunity. He has the skill, evidently, and the courage. To, to kill the lion. And then he tells another story. He said once upon a time. This bear came along. Now we have bear around here. I don't know how scary they are. They kind of run away. But he didn't have a gun. Or he didn't have a bow and arrow. He had a, a sling. A rock with a sling. And anyway. Long story short. He kills this bear. I, again. I would say. Hey. Bear. You know. You, you, t- you take one. And, <laughs> and leave us with the rest. So. Later on, he goes to visit his brothers. There's this battle going on. It was not much of a battle. The, the Philistines, the bad guys, the Klingons, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> they're on one hill and the Israelites are on another hill. And this guy by the name of Goliath, some of you have heard this story, he's down there saying, hey, we don't all need to fight each other. You just send someone, the guy over to fight me. And whoever wins, that side wins. This goes on for 40 days, night and day. And David shows up and says, what, nobody's going to stand up for our God? I'll go fight this guy. And he goes to the king and Saul, and Saul says, hey, put my armor on. He says, no, 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 I want that armor stuff. That's not the way I operate. That's not the way I roll. I just, you know, I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear, and I'll kill this Philistine. It's kind of what I do, right? Now, sometimes we think him killing Goliath was a miracle. And maybe there was some component, but in reality, this is, Joseph, uh David doing what David did. Killed a lion, he killed a bear, he killed Goliath. You know, not much difference. Not really a miracle involved. Another biggie in the Bible. Got the name, name of Joseph. <clears throat> Most of you know that story. His brothers hated him so much, <laughs> they were going to kill him. Um, I didn't like my brother sometime, but I never got to that point. But anyway... Um, so they sell him into slavery. Now, some of you put your hand up, you had a job you hated. I think Joseph probably hated his job. Slavery is not something that most of us would enjoy. And he winds up in Potiphar's household. But what Joseph does, he leans into his giftedness, if you will. He uh, had the gift of administration. He could really organize stuff. He was just good at that. He was the way he was wired. And so before long, he becomes, he, he's running Potiphar's household as a slave. And if you know the story, some bad he happened to be a handsome guy, and Potiphar's wife took a liking to him and tried to seduce him, and he said, no way, and he, she blamed him for raping her. And he, the miracle in this part is that the Potiphar didn't kill him. He just put him in prison. So from the time he's a teenager to the time he's like 30 years old, Joseph is either a slave or a prisoner. Talk about hating your job. But even in a prison, what's he do? He takes advantage of the opportunity. And before long, what's he doing? He's running the prison. Because he's using this giftedness, this administration gift. And people see he's good at it. And they they, they give him this this power. Now, if you want to talk about miracle in this story, he gets to interpret this dream. But eventually he winds up doing what? Running the whole country of Egypt. Using this giftedness, and, and God used him to spare his family because when the famine came, they had food to even feed his family, uh, the Israelites. So, not much miracles. I mean, there are miracles in the Bible, but God doesn't operate normally by miracles. So I put on your island. this is the way of the world because this is the way of God. God gives us opportunities we need to take advantage that lead to other opportunities we can take advantage of. This is the way the world works, but this is the way the world works because this is the way God works. Now, I told you last week, when I, when I first decided I, God wanted me to be a pastor, He wired me up for that, even though as a shy, introverted teenager, I couldn't imagine that, but I really liked the Bible. I really was interested in the Bible. So... And the opportunity to teach the Bible, I took advantage. And I started off teaching middle school boys. Remember that story? <laughs> and occasionally a pastor let me preach. But even later, after I got a job as a pastor, one time my brother was uh, leading a youth group in a bigger church down in D.C. And they were doing a retreat. And he asked me to come and speak. And as I told you, teens and kids aren't my thing. But it was an opportunity to speak and teach God's Word. So I, I did it. And my former pastor, he moved to Delaware, and he invited me to come preach revival services, and, and I did it because it was an opportunity um, to teach, teach God's Word. I think I also told you that uh, when I graduated from seminary, it was, it was January of 76. No church wanted to hire me. And... Uh, That was hard on me, but it was the reality of the situation. So I started volunteering in this little church that I eventually became the pastor of. And um, laid some hardwood floors, but there weren't many. So Melvin, my best friend, uh, was working as a carpenter. I didn't have carpenter skills. I just had hardwood flooring skills. But they hired me. And for a year and a half, I learned all kinds of carpentry stuff. Now, I was frustrated because I didn't have a church job. But most of you know me pretty well. Do you think I've taken advantage of the skills I learned of <laughs> being a carpenter that year and a half? Uh, some of it you see here. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I became a carpenter and used opportunities I could, and since then, with those skills. So we're going to look at something Paul wrote. And Paul started these churches and wrote letters to them. And this was the one uh, we call Colossians. And in this chapter, chapter 3, he starts off talking about difficult relationships, like uh, marriage. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands, as he said somewhere else. And he says, husbands, cherish and honor your wives. And then he talks about parent-child relationships. He says, children, obey your parents. That's one of the Ten Commandments. But then he tells dads, and this is convicting to me, don't exasperate your children. then he talks about masters and slaves. And there's another whole book of the Bible, a letter in the Bible, about master and slave relationships. And so then he sums sums them all up. We're just going to look at two verses, okay? And it's in Colossians chapter 3. And he says then, in this whatever work environment you might be or volunteer environment, work willingly at whatever you do. So whatever it is, like it or dislike it, do it the best you can, whether it's a volunteer thing, a thing that you've chosen to do, or a thing you're just doing to get by until you can do something else. Put your heart into it. Do everything you can. And I know the pushback, well, you don't know my job, or you don't know my boss, or you don't know my situation. I I don't. I'm just teaching the principle here. Um, Give it all you got, all right? Do the best you can. it's interesting, the um, first century church, the people in the first century, none of them liked their job. Okay? Most of them were slaves or servants. Uh, None of them liked their job. But see, being able to dislike your job is almost like a 20th century, 21st century Western America, uh, Western world uh, phenomenon. People in Third world countries, they don't have the privilege of disliking their jobs. If they have a job, they're happy. You know, we complain about food. People in third world countries don't have the privilege of complaining about food. they just well, happy they have food. Well, that's the same thing in the first century. So you didn't have the privilege of complaining about their, uh, uh, about their jobs. But Paul is saying, okay, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you like your job or not. Whatever job you have, whatever you're involved in, do it enthusiastically, that would be a word I, I, I would possibly use. And then he goes on. He says, "Do it that way, because it's as you're working to the Lord rather than people. I, most of us would believe whatever job that you have, it's God's given, right? God's provided it. And so if God's provided it, who are you ultimately responsible for to? God, right? no matter who signs your paycheck, no matter who you answer to. So he says, look at it that way rather than limit it to a human perspective. So engage and get involved, do the best you can, put your heart into it. And then the next verse just says, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. So we believe that there's something more than this life. In fact, what we do here determines what's going to happen later. And there's going to be rewards. There's going to be privileges. There's going to be opportunities greater. Uh, we mentioned this last week. Uh, after this life. It's kind of cool. Uh, a quote from a movie. Your life is going to echo through eternity. Who knows the movie? Nobody knew it in the first service. Gladiator. Haven't they ever seen that movie? <laughs> Maximus says your life's going to get, going to echo through eternity. Well, it's true. Even though... To him it wasn't a spiritual thing obviously um so he goes on and that the master you are serving is christ so he brings actually back to this this master servant relationship and we talked about this i think the first week if you're a jesus follower you are bought with a price jesus blood is paid for you and so you're not your own anymore you belong to him it's, it's like a master-servant relationship. But this is like the best master anybody could ever have, right? Uh, a loving God. Uh, and I think one problem we have, we, we don't look at work this way. But work, if God's provided your work, and you're doing this work, work is worship. And we think of worship being here, but no, no. Your work is worship. If you're working at what God wants you to work at, and doing the best you can for Him, your work should be worship. Let me just give you an illustration. <clears throat> when my kids were teenagers, I could make them do stuff. Can't make them do anything now to adults. But if I sent one of my teenage boys over to your house to cut your grass, whether you paid him or not, irrelevant, who were they ultimately answered, answerable to? And if they, you called me up and said they did a lousy job, or you called me up and said they didn't show up, who were they going to be answerable to? Me, right, as their parent. And so no matter what your job is and who, again, who you work for, if you're Jesus follower, you're answerable to God. So let's go back to verse 23. Whatever you do, work with all your heart as you work to the Lord. So we remember we talked about the different three wills of God, and one of them was the moral will of God, which we said was what's in the Bible. So again, I don't know your work situation, your volunteer situation, or your unemployment situation. But I know this. God's will for you, I don't know this specifically, but in generalities, is that you work at it with all your heart. Take advantage of every opportunity. Be engaged as much as possible. Be the first one in at work. Be the last one to leave. When somebody needs a volunteer, volunteer. Our tendency sometimes if we not too happy with where we are is, is, is to focus on the future, the next thing. And the instruction here is no, 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 no. You can dream about the next thing and work toward the next thing. But max out the present thing. And I know, again, but, but you don't know my boss, you don't know my job, you don't know my situation. I don't. But God does. And you can ask or pray, God, why God? But uh, he says, "Do it with all your heart." Now here's another issue that: Nobody makes decisions based on exceptions. Hopefully, you use your seatbelt when you drive. But we've all heard a story of somebody that didn't have a seatbelt on and just miraculously survived. But we know the statistics tell us what. The vast majority of the time, you're safer. With a seatbelt on. So we wear seatbelts. We base that decision not on exceptions. Same thing involving your work, unemployment, volunteer, whatever it is. Don't base it on exceptions. So I'm going to ask you four questions. Gonna be Someone might be a little uncomfortable and then we'll be finished. Okay? So here we go. Based on your current performance, wherever it is, would you trust you with a better opportunity? So if you're coming in late, leaving early, goofing off, if you were your boss, <laughs> would you promote you? Now hopefully that's not the case. You're the best employee that, that your boss has. You're the best school teacher, whatever. Some of you work for yourself, so that's a different sc- scenario. Would you give yourself a better opportunity? Second question, are you preparing for the next opportunity? Or just waiting for it? And uh, like I said, I experienced that back in 1976. You know, just volunteering, worked as a carpenter, doing whatever, taking advantage of whatever opportunity. Not just sitting around, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for God to drop a miracle in our lap. Okay? Third question. What can you begin doing now to prepare for your next opportunity? So maybe you don't like it, or maybe you're unemployed, or in between jobs, or whatever it is. What can you do? Can you take a class? Uh, can you volunteer for something? Can you do so- study something online? Uh, see, those waiting times are not wasted times. That year and a half that I was a carpenter wasn't wasted. In fact, I'm just blown away by how much God has. I've been able to use that over the years. And last question: Is there an opportunity where you are now that you're ignoring because the income doesn't match the workload? kind of, I'm not doing that, that's beneath me, or it's not worth it. Remember Joseph? I think a slavery and prison was certainly beneath him, right? So let's not make that kind of attitude beneath me um, and enter into the, in, into the decision of the conversation. So here we go. Let's finish up. Bottom line, fully engage with your current opportunities while you wait. And Pray or ask God and look for the next one. You know the expression cream rises to the top? Let's be the cream. That's what God wants and expects us that are Jesus followers. Um, And again, this is the way of the world because it's the way of God. So if you're not a Jesus follower, these principles still work. So let's pray we'll have a final song and let you all go. Father God, thank you. We thank you for work. We thank you for volunteer opportunities. Uh, Some people may be here in jobs they don't like or not fulfilling Others may be unemployed, God. We just pray that you would, uh, that they would follow these, these principles and these steps and do the best they can, uh, whether it's in a waiting period or uh, waiting for the next opportunity. We pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower that, that would like to step across that line, that they would do that just now, just say yes to you. would accept that gift of salvation and, and enter in a personal relationship with you. And God, uh, uh, again, we thank you that you're a great communicator and you will reveal these things to us if we, uh, if we seek, as you say, we will find. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.